Well, good morning, guys. My name is, is Sean. This is Crystal. We hadn't planned that. I just wanted to throw that at her. Um, and we're going to read Amos 1 and 2. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the sons of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Damascus, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. So I will send a fire upon the house of Hazel, and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. I will break the gate bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Aven. And him who holds the scepter from Beth Eden and the people of Syria shall go into exile to Kerr, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver up to Edom. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Gaza and it shall devour the, her strongholds. I will cut off the inhabitants from Ashdod. And him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon, I will turn my hand against Ekron. And the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord God. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Tyre, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they delivered up a whole people to Edom, and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre, and it shall devour her strongholds. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Edom, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because he pursued his brother with a sword and cast off all pity, and his anger tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. So I will send a fire upon Teman, and it shall devour the strongholds of Basra. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead, that they might enlarge their border. So I will kindle a fire in the wall of Reba, and it shall devour her strongholds with shouting on the day of battle, with a tempest in the day of the whirlwind, and their king shall go into exile, he and his princes together, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because he burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom. So I will send a fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the strongholds of Kerioth. And Moab shall die amid uproar, amid shouting and the sound of the trumpet. I will cut off the ruler from its midst and will kill all of its princes with him, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. But their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem." Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted, a man and his father go into the same girls so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedar and who was as strong as the oaks. 
I destroyed his fruit above, his, above and his roots beneath. Also, it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up some of your sons of prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets, saying, You shall not prophesy. Behold, I will press down in your place as a cart full of sheaves presses down. Flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand, and he who is swift afoot shall not save himself. Nor shall he who rides the horse save his life, and he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in, the, in that day, declares the Lord. All right, good morning. Kids, where are you guys at? All right, raise your hands. Okay, now put your hands down. Okay, this part is important, right? You guys got to listen. Don't raise your hands anymore, okay? These are questions I just want you to think about, but don't raise your hand. All right, so first one. Do you, as children, and I'm sure this is probably not you guys, but do you ever get in trouble? That one, you can raise your hand. That's okay. Okay, now put your hand down. This one, don't raise your hand. Whenever you're in trouble, do sometimes you maybe think that maybe your brother or your sister or somebody else, maybe they did something worse than you? And maybe you say to your parents, well, what about them? They did this thing. Does that ever happen? Yeah, maybe, right? That's okay. I, I do that too sometimes. So do your mom and dad, right? We, that, that's, 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 called, that's called blame shifting. So we, sh- we should have some blame, but instead what we want to do is we want to get it off of us because we, we don't like that feeling, right? We don't like to feel in trouble. We don't like to feel found out. We don't like to feel caught. And so what we want to do is we want to take that feeling and we want to give it to somebody else. We want, we want them to get in trouble and, and not us. And the reason why we're, we're talking about that is because in this, this long passage that you heard Mr. Sean and Miss Crystal read, uh, there's this, this long list of, of people who, who get in trouble, all these nations. And then at the very end, the nation of Israel gets in trouble. And the reason why that matters is because the person that, or the the group that that Amos, this prophet, is talking to is the nation of Israel. And what they wanted God to do is they wanted God to get everybody else in trouble, but not them. They wanted him to, to punish everybody else, but not them. And what they find out is that they too had done stuff wrong. They too needed punishment. They too needed God's grace poured out on them. But the good news for us is that we actually have someone else to take the blame for us, right? Jesus came to to stand in our place and to take the trouble that should have been on us. And that's, that's the good news for Israel, too, is that God was sending them a Redeemer that they could look to 
for, for salvation, to uh, take the blame for them. And so kids, go home and, and ask your parents about what they learned about the good news of Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us this morning uh, and, and how he's taken on our blame and stood in our place. So let's, let's pray and then we'll walk through Amos 1 and 2 together this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a good father. And that means that you discipline your children. And we thank you that you also made a way for the ultimate punishment that we deserve not to fall on us. That you sent your own son to, to stand in our place and to pay the penalty for, for our sin, for our rebellion, for our rejection. And so we pray today that you would help us uh, to see in, in, in Amos 1 and 2 the reality of our sin and brokenness and the greatness of your grace towards us in Jesus. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. So, Journeying on in the, in the Minor Prophets, last week we, we wrapped up Joel, and uh, today we're moving into Amos. And so when we were in Hosea, we, we moved to Joel, and that kind of moved us forward in time about 200 years. Okay, so that's, we went from Hosea to Joel, that moved us forward 200 years. Now that we're in Amos, we go backwards in time. Uh, pretty much back to the time that, that Hosea was, was, was around. is within a couple hundred years of, or within, you know, maybe 50 years of when Hosea was prophesying. So uh, in the first two verses that Sean and Crystal read, he gives us kind of the, the, the time frame. He gives us a little information about himself and when he's writing. So he gives us three pieces of information, three pieces of data about the time frame. The first he says is that it's in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Um, Uzziah is a king that we encountered when we went through the book of Isaiah. He died in 739 BC. So if uh, Amos is prophesying during his reign, we know that his prophecy has to be sometime before 739 BC because that's when Uzziah died. The next thing he says, next piece of data is he says he prophesied during the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. I'm sure you guys all know that's Jeroboam II, and uh, he began his reign in 793 B.C. So uh, he, Uzziah died in 739, Jeroboam II started reign in 793, so Amos has to be sometime in that range. The third thing he says about the time frame is he says he's prophesying two years before the earthquake. And I'm sure you guys all know which earthquake he's talking about. I mean, you didn't have to look it up in a book to figure out what he's saying. Uh, there's actually, so signs, signs of a severe earthquake were discovered at, at an excavation in Hazor that scholars proposed a date for around 765 to 760 B.C. In fact, later in the Minor Prophets, this, this earthquake is referenced. In Zechariah 14.5, it says this, 
It says, And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of my mountains shall reach to Azel. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. And so later in the Minor Prophets, we're going to see this earthquake referenced again. It happened sometime during Uzziah's reign, and there was a, an earthquake in this region that we have evidence for sometime around 765, 760 BC. So Amos is writing sometime after 793, sometimes before 739, and probably around 760 BC. So this is, you know, backwards in time. Israel had not yet been exiled. Judah's exile is going to come about 200 years after that. So why does it, why does it matter, right? Why, why throw all those dates out at you? Uh, why, why does it matter? It matters because it helps us understand what's going on in Israel's world at this point in history. Particularly, Amos is prophesying to them, to prophesying to them at a time where they had kind of reached another, another pinnacle. Right? Uh, under Solomon, uh, Judah, Israel, the nation as a whole, kind of reached this high point. Their, their borders had expanded. They experienced a whole lot of prophesy, pro, or a whole lot of prosperity. Sorry, I'm apparently not being able to talk this morning. They experienced a whole lot of prosperity. Things were really good. Then after Solomon, the kingdom splits and things got bad. But then under Jeroboam II, they started to get better again for Israel. Their, their borders had expanded once more. They were almost reaching the borders where they were during Solomon's reign. Uh, and the, one of the main reasons why that happened is because Assyria, this major world power, was kind of in a slump. Their power over the region was, was waning. They, hadn't, they weren't able to ex exert as much force over the nation of Israel. And so they were struggling. And because of that, Israel was, was blossoming. Things were going really well. And they thought, things are going so well, God must be blessing us. God must be pouring out his blessing on them because things are going so well. They were so good. And so they thought that, that everything was perfect. And they thought that what was going to take place in the near future was that the day of the Lord was going to come, where God was going to return and he was going to judge all of their enemies and, and restore them and everything they wanted. And so they were at a place where they thought things couldn't get much better than this. The only way they could get better is if God came and he poured out judgment on all their enemies. But what they're going to find out and what we just heard is that he is going to come and he's going to pour out judgment on their enemies. He's going to pour judgment out on all the nations around them, but he's not going to stop there. He's also going to pour out judgment on them for their sin. And so that's what we see in the book of Amos. That's what we're going to see unfolding. So uh, the, the first verse also tells us who Amos is. It says that he was among the shepherds of Tekoa when he, when he gets this prophecy from the Lord. And so uh, later in the book, in chapter 7, he says that uh, he was, he's not a prophet. He's not a prophet's son. He's a, a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. So this guy is just a normal guy. He's, he's a farmer. He's a shepherd. He's out there doing his work, and the Lord gives him this prophecy. So he's not a member of kind of the, the religious establishment. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't preparing to be a prophet. He was just doing his job, living his life, and God called him and set him aside to be a prophet. So let's look at what he has to say to Israel. First, he tells us, he says, the Lord is roaring from Zion. He's uttering his voice from Jerusalem, and the pastures mourn, and the top of Mount Carmel withers. 
So the point of this kind of initial statement is that that judgment is coming, right? This is kind of a a bad omen. Judgment is is looming. It's about to fall. And so in the rest of the passage, outside this verse where uh, Amos identifies himself and the time at which he's prophesying, outside of this kind of foreshadowing of the judgment to come, uh, we're going to see three things unfold in this passage. And there's this that recurring refrain where God says that, you know, for for three things and for four, I'm not going to relent. He's going to pour out punishment. They're, They're not going to get out of it. And so we see in this passage, judgment on Israel's neighbors, these, these nations around them. Then we see judgment on, on Judah, their, their, their brothers to the south. And then we see judgment on Israel themselves. So that's what's going to take place. And the point here, as God says over and over again, he says, uh, for three transgressions and for four, he will not revoke the punishment. This, this recurring statement is to tell them that he's going to pour out judgment. He takes their sin seriously, like specific things they're being condemned for. Uh, this isn't hypothetical judgment anymore. They're being denounced for things. There's concrete evidence of their rebellion against God, and they're going to receive judgment for it. So the first nation up is Damascus. Damascus is the capital city of Syria. And they're going to be held accountable, Amos says, for what they've done at Gilead. Gilead was, was west of uh, Damascus, and it's uh, the, the site of a whole lot of battles between Israel and Syria. So this is a place where these nations war. They, they battled, and apparently uh, Damascus committed uh, atrocities there. They, they threshed the people uh, at Gilead, and they're going to be punished for it. Judgment's going to be poured out. So he says the house of Hazel and the strongholds of Ben-Hadad, the gate bar of Damascus, they're going to be burned with fire. They're going to be broken down. These are military strongholds. These are, these are palaces. These are places of power. They're going to be broken down. And the result is that the people will be cut off from safety. And those who survive are going to be taken off into exile. And if you were to flip over to 2 Kings 16, we're not going to read the passage, but if you want to read it later today, you'll read that these events unfold some 30 years after Amos' prophecy. Uh, Damascus is, is taken out by Assyria, and their king is killed. Next up is Gaza. Gaza was a, is, a, is a representative city for the Philistines. It's not clear what they're specifically being held accountable for, but, but apparently they, in some sort of military um, setting, they, they took some people and they take them to Edom and they deliver them there in exile. And so they're, they're taking people in conflict and selling them, it seems, into slavery in Edom. And so they are going to be held accountable for that action. And so their military strongholds are torn down. The king is going to be removed. And Amos says the remnant of the people will perish. And so they face a, a, a worse fate than uh, Damascus did. Third punishment is, is Tyre. Tyre is indicted for very similar reasons to Gaza, uh, but they have the added charge of not remembering the covenant of brotherhood. This is probably a reference to them, them breaking some sort of military treaty, potentially with Israel, potentially with another nation. But they, they went back on their word, and now they're being condemned for it. They too are going to receive this this fire upon their walls, uh, the wall of Tyre, which you know I like to think is a wall of actual tires. Um, it's going to be burned, and so they're receiving punishment. Their strongholds are going to be devoured and broken down. Next comes Edom. Edom is held accountable because Amos says he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity, and his anger tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. So Edomites 
or the children of Esau. Um, and so they're kind of like kind of like cousins of the Israelites. And while there, there may have been peace between these two nations because of their relationship, uh, there, there really wasn't. Edom pursued them with the sword. They didn't pity them. But instead, they gave in to anger and wrath towards them at all times. Because of that, Amos says, fire is going to be sent on Teman, and the strongholds of Basra will be devoured. Teman's a, a district uh, in Edom. Uh, notice how there's not a mention of walls there, so it's not a city like the other ones. Um, Basra is one of their fortresses, and so it's going to be broken down. It's going to be turned or torn down. They get, in chapter 1, we get the Ammonites. Uh, they're punished for the military atrocities that they committed against Israel at Gilead. Gilead was a significant place for military battles. Uh, the Ammonites, likewise, are condemned for their actions there. Uh, they wanted to extend their borders, and to do that, Amos says, they ripped open pregnant women. So they're, they're sadistically violent, and they're held accountable for it. So their strongholds are going to be torn down, their king, their princes are going to be taken off into exile. Chapter 2 starts with Moab. Moab is held accountable for what happened to the king of Edom. Says that they they burned his bones. So it seems like they, for some reason, uh, maybe in some sort of military tactic, they uh, desecrated the tomb of an Edomite king. And so they're going to be punished for it. Their city, cities, and military strongholds are going to fall. The people will fall into chaos. And he says that the ruler will die along with his princes. So all these foreign nations are being condemned for, for actions that they took, specific things that they've done uh, against the people of Israel and against other nations in the area. Next, we get to Judah. So, so things are kind of getting closer to home for Israel. Judah's indictment is, is different than what's said about all the other nations. They're held accountable for rejecting the law of the Lord, for not keeping his statutes. So this is a different punishment. This is a different crime. But they're still going to be punished like all the other nations. Their, their strongholds are going to be turned down, torn down. They'll, they'll fall by a devouring fire. So before we get to Israel and their punishment, let's take a second and, and, and look at what's happening here. Right? Israel is expecting the day of the Lord to come. They're expecting God to come and, and do exactly what Amos has said he's going to do up to this point in the passage. Right? They, they, they long for him to come and punish all of their enemies. They, they want judgment to fall on everyone else. So, so they're on board. Right? They're, they're listening to Amos. They're clapping. They're excited. They're throwing a party because he's finally doing what they wanted him to do. God has been upholding his standard of justice. And with Judah, he's been upholding his, his covenant relationship with his people. And Israel thinks that the punishment is going to fall somewhere else. And, and it is. But they're also about to find out that it's going to fall on them. And before we, we talk about that specifically, notice, like look, look, look at your Bible. Or, or think about when, when Sean and Crystal read. The, the amount of space that's devoted to Israel compared to all the other nations is significant. The other nations get two or three verses. Israel gets a chunk. Because we're, we're always going to know more about our own sin than we'll know about the sin of other people. Right? We're always going to know more about how much blame should be on us than we're going to know about how much blame should be on someone else. And so Israel, they're indicted 
Amos says, because number one, they sell the poor into slavery. Number two, they oppress the weak and vulnerable. Number three, they're, they're sexually immoral. Number four, they worship idols while exploiting people. It says that they're, they're on borrowed garments, uh, garments taken in pledge. Number five, they've rejected what, what God has done for them. He gives them this list of the acts of deliverance for them. They respond to it by rejecting the prophets, by telling them not to prophesy. They respond to it by, by taking these Nazarites who had been taken a vow not to drink alcohol, not to do some other things, and they forced them to break their vow to God. Because of all of these things that they've done, judgment is going to fall. He says he's going to press down on them like an overloaded cart presses down on the ground beneath it. So they're going to be, they're going to be smashed. The result is that the swift, they're not going to be swift any longer. The mighty won't be mighty any longer. The strong won't be strong anymore. There won't be any way to escape the punishment that's coming, right? You're not going to be able to flee it on a horse. He says even the bravest among them is going to run away naked when the punishment falls. You see, the day of the Lord, they're finding out, as Amos prophesying, the day of the Lord doesn't just mean punishment for other people. It means punishment for them too. And it's one that they're not going to escape. And so right at the beginning of Amos' prophecy, he's making this very clear to them. Right? Any hope that they had that the day of the Lord would be a good day for them is, is fading fast. And it's only going to get worse as we move through Hosea's prophecy. There's this passage coming up, which is, which is one of my favorite in the Old Testament, where he says that it would be like the day of the Lord for them would be like a guy who, who runs from a lion to meet a bear to make it home to his house and put his hand on the wall to get bitten by a snake. Right? Like no matter what, uh, they're, they're, they're not going to have a good outcome. This is what's taking place in Amos. This is what he's holding the people accountable for. The result, or the reality is, is that he has way more than, than three or four things to hold all these nations accountable for. Right? There, there isn't any sin that he doesn't see. There isn't any sin that he doesn't know about. He doesn't, he doesn't forget. He doesn't overlook. All sin is an affront to him and his holiness. Right? With God, there's, there's no such thing as secret sin. He knows and he hates all of it. And that's what, that's what they're experiencing in this passage. And like Israel, there's, there's no escape for us from his punishment. There's no escape for them. The good news for us is that Jesus came. Right? He, didn't, he didn't try to outrun God's justice. He didn't try to fight his way out. He didn't shift the blame on nations around him. But he willingly went to the cross. He took the blame that should have been on other people and put it on himself. He took our blame and put it on himself. And so the only reason why we don't need to live in a state of fear like Israel and these other nations around them when we're told about the fact that judgment is going to come is because Jesus has come, because he took our punishment, because he stood condemned in our place, because he bore his father's punishment against us and our sin. And so this passage, I think it should do two things for us. Number one, it should remind us uh, about God's holiness and the gravity of our sin. Right? When we think about, like, what, what if, 
instead of one of these cities in this list was, was my name or your name. Right? And the Lord was like, for three transgressions and for four, I'm not going to revoke the punishment. Like, then what would it say about us? We probably haven't committed military atrocities at Gilead. But there'd be plenty of things to put on that list for us. So this should remind us of our own sinfulness, of our own brokenness. But the second thing this passage should do is it should remind us of the grace we've been shown in Jesus. Because those sins that he could list for us, they didn't just go away. They didn't just get forgotten about. They didn't just disappear. He took them and he nailed them to the cross and Jesus paid for all of them, for me and for you. And so we don't need to fear his punishment. We don't need to fear his justice. We don't need to be afraid of the fact that our God is holy because we know that he's also merciful and gracious. We know that Jesus has taken his wrath on our behalf. And so as we move forward in the service today, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, as we sing songs of worship, let's remember both the fact that we're broken and also the fact that he's redeemed us anyway. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your son to redeem those who who put their faith and hope in him. Jesus, we thank you that you came. You didn't run. You didn't fight. You didn't blame shift. But you took our punishment. You stood in our place. You bore the wrath that we should bear. And so we pray that you would send your spirit to increase our awareness of both our own sinfulness and also of the grace you've shown us. I pray that you would, by your Spirit, stir our affections for you and who you are because of what you've done for us. I pray that you would enable us to respond rightly and to worship you rightly because of the grace you've shown us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.